HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. From simple to gourmet, nothing's fresher or tastier in recipes than homegrown, fine-ripened veggies and savory herbs. Do you grow your own? With Bonnie Plants, a kitchen garden at your back door or in containers can produce an amazing harvest for cooking and for sharing. Find how-tos, plans, and more at bonnieplants.com. Your recipes might not change, but your results sure will. Fresh, healthy Bonnie veggies and herbs. Get growing. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host, Kathy Airway. And uh, it is actually a weirdly warm day here in Brooklyn, and uh, that definitely means that it's, start to, it's time to start thinking about gardening or farming, uh, planting seeds for, for summer harvest, or maybe even going to help out at a farm in your area as an apprentice, or something like that. Um, so my guest today is actually the author of a memoir about one eye-opening summer he spent working on his family's farm in Pennsylvania. The book is called A Farm Dies Once a Year, and the author Arlo Crawford is on the line here. How are you? Hi, how are you doing, Kathy? Thanks Good. for having me. Good, thanks. So um, congratulations on this book. It's, uh, it's a beautifully written and very evocative memoir, and it's your first book, correct? It is my first book, that's right, yes. Um, I had written a few other things about the farm in the past, but this is the, the first larger work I've done. So you went to work on this farm, and you obviously grew up there with your parents and your family, um, but you went back when you were about 30, 31, was it? Yep, yep, 31 years, so about five years ago now. Okay, so I don't want to give up away too much but um uh so let's just you know go through it like why did you decide to go back to this farm at this point in time you had a you know worked a few jobs you're living in cambridge massachusetts very different from from the pastoral uh you know uh scenery what provoked yeah. you yeah, well, I, I, um, it was a sort of an interesting process. I grew up on the farm, obviously, but I had sort of never really felt that 
comfortable there just because this was really a farm that was a, my parents started it um, in the 70s, um, and it was really their project. Neither of them came from a farming background, so we were sort of um, new to the area and um, and didn't always fit in uh, very smoothly. Um, and so, and I, so I was interested in, when I got older, I was interested in sort of moving on and, and moving out into the world. I lived in New York for a long time. Um, I lived in, in Cambridge, like you mentioned. Um, and I was working at an art museum and, uh, at Harvard. And I, um, I wasn't, I, I liked my job, but I wasn't really sure what I was doing. I was, you know, I was, thir- like you mentioned, I was in my early 30s, and it just didn't really feel like the art museum was necessarily what I wanted my career to be. I didn't feel very passionate about it. Um, and so it, I started to write a little bit about the farm, and for the first time, and sort of now that I was at this age, I think I was sort of finally able to understand it from the perspective of my parents right. when they were that age mm-hmm. um, and understand how much of a risk it was for them to do this project. And it just all of a sudden, I was really interested in finding out mm-hmm. more about what what that project had looked like when my parents were the age that I was now. Right. Um, so that's, because, And they were total career changers, too. Your, your dad like dropped out of law school to go start this project. Your mom had never you know lived on a farm either. So this that's was, true. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No. Neither of them had any farming background. My father um, had uh, had always loved to grow vegetables. Even I mean, he was he grew up in Massachusetts, um, and uh, he had always, from a very early age, had always grown a big garden in the backyard, and he just it had always been a big part of his personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and he even sold vegetables sort of door to door when he was a little kid around just around his neighborhood. Um, and then you're right, he went to, he actually went to Vietnam. He came back. He went to law school. Uh, he only lasted a year at law school when he and his some friends went to rent a piece of land, um, in West Virginia. And over that summer, he just sort of started to grow some carrots and things just mm-hmm. mostly for fun. And, um, and then at the end of the summer, he was going back to law school and he kind of just, he got back and he just turned around and went back to West Virginia and said, I'm going to try this instead, uh, which is a pretty typical kind of story with that, that kind of back to the land time. But what I think yeah. makes it less typical was the fact that, you know, 40 years on, this really became the way that they, my, both my parents have sort of made their livings and yeah. defined their sort of lives. So Yeah, I'm curious, were you also uh, provoked by a sense of uh, family duty, you know, to carry on the heritage of this farm? Like who else is going to do this um, and continue on the legacy if you don't did you was that part of the motivation uh, that was part of it um, that is a big part of of farms there's always I just saw I think an article yesterday about how old you know farms how old farmers, farmers are getting yeah. the average age of farmers and it's always really difficult to pass a farm on um, in my case, I was not so, it was always clear, I have a little sister also, okay. it was always clear that neither of us were very interested in in farming. Um, so it never really was, uh, we never planned to, to take the farm over. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the things that this book does, uh, for me at least, is it sort of, even though I won't take the farm over, it does mm-hmm. sort of, I feel a little bit like a contribution to that project right, right. and sort of um, in a way that's really satisfying to me, you know, sort of getting it down on paper the way that it really felt. Right. Um, 
because it will change. And I think it'll change in lots of good ways. I think it'll remain a farm, but it won't be the same farm, and it won't okay. be my parents, my family's yeah. farm. So, well, at least you got to experience uh, its seasons as an adult just to try it out for size and you know see what it was like. Um, you know, I have to say, Harla, when I first saw the title, like I sort of just glanced at the title of this book, A Farm Dies Once a Year, mm-hmm. I I just instantly thought it was about the the dwindling number of family farms, small family mm-hmm. farms in America. And, sure. you know, that whole, uh, I thought it was like a call to arms, like really political, like save the family farm legacy in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a lot of political books here, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, a whole different kettle of fish, really. And it was, it was much more a personal tale and a, a self-discovery. It was sort of like a coming of age, not, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, not novel, but memoir. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think you were talking about spring earlier. It's spring now, not so much out here in California, but, uh, well, it's always spring in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, it, uh. And you're in San Francisco, right? Yeah, I'm in San Francisco. That's right. Um, you know, the title of the book, I think, um, it was, a, it was an interesting process to come to that title because it was, you were talking about spring and I think that's, you know, when people think of farmers and they think of farms, it's spring that comes to mind mm-hmm. and, you know, this sense of satisfaction of getting out into the dirt and kind of getting things planted and, and this great possibility, which is in, in a, a total, an absolutely essential part. But I think, um, the idea that that is also an amazingly stressful time. Uh, the, the, the spring, it's really the time when, um, for my parents, it was always a time of real and anticipation, but also a little bit of dread uh-huh. and a little bit of fear. Um, and what, so what was interesting to me was sort of looking at the farm from the other end. You know, what happens, um, when the farm, oh. you know, a farm at, in the winter, a farm is always going to come to an end. Every season is going to come to an end. And what's a little bit more interesting to me and my experience with a farm is what do you do when you've poured everything you have into a piece of land and no matter what you do, it's going to end. Um, and this process of what's a little bit more interesting to me is sort of the idea of when you're back sort of against the wall, <laughs> you know, um, how do you go on? Um, and and the next, you know, there'll be another season to come, um, mm-hmm. but there's always going to be a spring. Yeah. But um, but it's it, the the time when the farm is really um, coming to a close yeah. is, is is interesting. And, to me. And, yeah, it's about you know the just natural rhythms of life and sure, the farm sure. and people and so forth. Um, but, yeah. you know, I, so it's not a book about how to save America's legacy or heritage of far, small family farms, but I kind of was really impressed by how well your parents managed to run the farm and, and still are, apparently, um, with uh, the, just like the amount of uh, cooperation they, you know, they would, it sounded like they were, for especially for first-time farmers, um, just made a lot of really smart connections. Um, you know, reading through the beginning when you described your childhood, you know, you guys would sell uh, shiitake mu- or like mushrooms from this neighboring farmer, and then some fo- other folks would bake t- would bake goods from the fruits, and then you would get some cheeses from Cabot Creamer, and then you know, there was just like it sounded, um, you know, it sounded like they did pretty well um, for for handling a very small family farm on their own. 
Yeah, that... absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's my father is very um, he's a good he's a really good businessman for one thing, um, and it's always been really important to him that the farm run in a way that um, is that makes money. I mean, not not just for making money, but just making sure that this isn't just a labor of love. That this yeah. is a project that is supported by fundamental good fundamental business yeah. practices um, which doesn't isn't to say that it was um, that there was a lot of money involved right. uh, but you know uh, or even sort of a coming at it from sort of an MBA you know oh this is the sort of business practices but more just these fundamental ideas that you need to go out and you know, one of the things I the, that's, this part of Pennsylvania is always has been a tra- traditionally a very heavy uh, apple growing region okay. um, and uh, one of the things that's interesting is when my parents got there um, they realized that they could go to the na- to the orchards around mm-hmm. and they could go through the bins of apples the bins of reject apples and they could pick out the good apples um, and they could get them incredibly cheap um, and uh, and so you know that was just it, that was sort of the very beginning of the um, of the process but mm-hmm. having the guts and the sort of to realize a that you can make money this way, but also just having the sort of guts to approach a, a orchard that's been there for you know fifty years right. and say, "Hey, can we pick through your apple bins?" Um, these two kind of hippies showing up, um, and that to me is just a really interesting. Um, it was just really interesting how they found it was you know it was apples, and then you're right, it was they they the woman next door who babysat us for a while, babysat my sister and I for a while. Oh, she's a great baker. Hey, would you like to do pies for us? Right. And then she set up a little commercial kitchen in her garage, and she was doing pies, and um, and so yeah, it, it's a huge, it is a huge network of people involved and in I Pennsylvania. I saw that uh, he'd also built relationships with other like with small natural food stores to sell yeah, his product yeah. to. Yeah, I mean, yeah. maybe having like an outsider's eye too really, really gave him a lot of perspective that other uh, older, you know, farmers of his generation might not have. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this was a new thing, you know, in the seventies, and not that they were the only ones doing it, but um, this was not a, you know, like I had said earlier about the orchards. These people were not set up or used to another farmer coming to them and saying, "Hey, mm-hmm. I want to do this." You know, it yeah. was just those systems were not in place. And more than that, just those ideas weren't really in place. You know, I mean, the idea of setting up a farmer's market today, which is something that happens all the time, um, that's something where you kind of, you can, there's already a network in place, but more than that, people understand what a farmer's market is supposed to look like. They go, this is what I'm going to see. When, when in the 70s, when my parents showed up in D.C. for their first market, it was this sort of, plaza in the middle of Adams Morgan. Adams Morgan was pretty rough those days, though it's much different now. And they set up with two other farmers, and the people didn't know what to expect of them. You know, I mean, their customers were happy to see them, but they sort of had to form these fundamental ideas of, oh, there's going to be a farmer set up in front of the bank at 18th and Columbia, and he's going to have tomatoes, you know. and uh, and so that I think is is one of the interesting things too is that over the last forty years we've really seen a shift in the way that people think about these connections. So. Yeah, I, I think that you know this book is also testament to to one family's figuring it all out, and you know mm-hmm. it's a positive example. Sure. Going forward, um, so we're gonna uh, talk a lot more about the book, but we're just gonna cut to a quick little commercial interlude. Sure, sounds good.
pickup truck and his favorite wife beat her shirt. Says it's something to do with luck, cause it's 2 a.m. and he's drunk off his ass. Hello, do-it-yourselfer. Ever thought about gardening? If you can build that window box, you can build a raised bed in your backyard. Bonnie Veggie and Herb Plants in Raised Beds make a fast weekend project with a big payback. Fresh, grow-em-yourself tomatoes and peppers, kale, basil and thyme, and so much more. Bonnie plants are healthy and strong and help jumpstart your garden. So get growing. Plans and how-tos at bonnieplants.com. All right, we're back chatting with Arla Crawford, the author of A Farm Dies Once a Year, a memoir. And um, I was about to ask you a question from a passage um, that I came across that has to do with what we were just talking about, about you know carrying on family farms, how mm-hmm. possible, how viable uh, is this? And I thought I'd just read a little passage. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Sure. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, there were no other kids my age around, but there were people everywhere, and all of them wanted to play with me. A steady stream of apprentices, most of them just a few years younger than my parents, lived there every summer. Almost no one seriously thought that farming like this could be a viable career, and most of them were there to spend a summer in Arcadian bliss. One of them would stop working to show me how to identify wild spearmint by its square stems, and another would walk with me after a storm to look for fallen birds' nests. At night, they would drink beer down by the creek and teach me how to skip stones. So it's a kind of lovely chapter. And, and I really am impressed with how much you're able to squeeze, um, you know, so much story into basically what takes place in one summer uh, in this book. So it's, it's, um, it's, a, great, it's a great piece of work. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, but so why did, uh, it seems like a lot of people were just sort of like found this, you know, blissful, uh, I guess, you know, farm life um, once a season or you know, during the growing season, just kind of like had a more like nonchalant attitude about, or, you know, they thought it was actually not viable to continue on as a career choice. Is that how you felt as well? Um, I don't feel that way. I feel that it, it, it's interesting because at that point, so that was maybe the early 80s, the people who were working there were a very different kind of person. They were people that, um, were interested in, they might be, they might, they were sort of, maybe they were more political or they were more interested in dropping out. They were more interested in just alternative systems in general, I think mm-hmm. is the best way to describe it. But whereas now today, the people that come to the farm, so we've always had that, that, that little passage was about apprentices. We've always had apprentices. Um, and one of the interesting things to watch is how over the years, uh, especially in the last 10 years, apprentices have become much, much more professionalized. Mm. They, they come with the specific idea that they want to learn about sustainable agriculture and they want to learn a specific set of skills and they, uh, many of them want to own a farm themselves someday. So in 1984, somebody probably showed up from D.C. and they, maybe they were living in a group house and they might have been baking bread together with some other people and, um, and they were interested in, 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 learn, in, in community. Mm-hmm. But today, 
there's not a lot of, there's not as much room for that kind of, it's a very focused, you know, yeah. people come, they say, I need to learn how to run a basket weeder because someday I'm going to have to run a basket weeder <laughs> on my own land and I need to know what it looks like, you know, how it has to be lubricated, how it has to be maintained. Um, and when I said earlier that I think family farms and passing on farms, um, I think our farm will pass on to be being a farm, will yeah. remain a farm. Um, but I think my sister and I won't be involved. And I think one of the things to consider in this day and age is that as important as it is, fam- the idea of family farms are important and a family of farms sort of being a family heirloom. What's also important is a farm as a business and a farm continuing as a viable business. Right. As long as New Morning Farm continues, my sort of that work has been done. <laughs> you know, it's been preserved. Uh, it doesn't necessarily ne- mean that it's like my father and started a button factory, and you know, it's Jim Crawford buttons, and <laughs> I'm not necessarily interested in taking over the button factory. But as long as somebody's going to keep making buttons there, yeah. that's that's the important. It's thing. been done. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that that is um, I, that's so interesting that you witness firsthand the difference in attitude of of these young people who co- who go to work on farms because we certainly um, have you know experienced a lot of different conferences and workshops and general help for you know young farmers of today. So um, yeah, it's an interesting change and the the motivations seem a little bit different nowadays. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think they're motivated by a lot of the same ideals, and I don't mean to say that they aren't, they don't care, just, they aren't just as passionate about these ideas, um, about community and about alternatives, because uh, they really are. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's sort of like what I was saying earlier about the farmer's markets. At one point, at the beginning, people didn't, there wasn't really a viable model for what a farmer's market looked like because nobody had been doing it. And so it took these 30 years for, you know, now you can go to an agricultural school, whereas 30 years ago, the only offerings would have been how to put pesticides on, you know, five, 2,000 acres of potatoes. Mm-hmm. Now you can go to an agriculture school, a school of agriculture and they can teach you, oh, you want to do something that looks more like New Morning Farm. You want to do something that's diversified, that has a lot of different crops. Right. And, and that is just, there's just a whole, there's, there's a whole support system now in place that, um, that people can tap into and understand that it is, can be a career for them. Um, still a really difficult career and not one to be taken lightly, <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> but can, can be made into a career. Well, I think that the um, the family heritage is um, very interesting because uh, you know in your your case you a large part of uh, why you decided to go to that far, uh, to the farm that summer um, was motivated by understanding your parents and where they were at um, at that time in their life. And did you come away with a, a greater uh, appreciation for for them and perhaps yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know I, th- that's one thing I want to touch on is I think. My parents absolutely passed something on to my sister and I uh, and me uh, that, you know, they passed along the idea that you can do something this risky and you can do something this bold. Um, and it, it absolutely was uh, amazing for me mm-hmm. to understand it now and to understand um, just exactly how much they'd put at risk when they did this. And I, you know, that was one of the things that I was really fascinated by. I thought to myself, well, geez, I'm that age. Could I imagine moving out to the middle of nowhere and starting a farm from scratch without knowing anything about it? And I thought, that is so outside my, my sort of, <laughs> what I think I could yeah. do. <laughs> 
Um, and I think, uh, and I think most of my peers would be the same way. I mean, that just seems like such a risky thing yeah. to do. So, um, so my appreciation for that, um, I think, is a really important part of the legacy of what my parents have, have passed on, and they've passed that on not just to me and my sister through the family, but they've passed that on to generations of apprentices, right. um, and they've provided some of the tools and some of the motivation to to make this work for for lots of people. So. Wow, that's really inspiring. Yeah, that's great. Um, You also talk about um, reading. I I remember the section right before in the book, uh, right before you go back to the farm that summer, um, you take a little trip to Walden Pond, Mm -hmm. the Walden Pond of Thoreau's Walden, and uh, you bring a copy of Walden (laughs) with you to the pond to read. (laughs) So, So did you see yourself sort of as Thoreau, like taking a... Taking a real uh, risk here, uh, you know, in the wilderness, taking a break from society. Uh, was that your sort of idea as well? No, I don't. I don't absolutely. I mean, one of the things I, I I went to Walden Pond partly just because when you live in Boston or in Cambridge, it's one of the closest places you can swim, um, and I could ride there on my bike. So it wasn't. Uh, but I did go to Walden. I mean, I was interested in that idea. Obviously, sort of when you go to the middle of nowhere to live in a cabin, sort of Thoreau was probably there before you, no matter what, um, the idea of Thoreau. Um, but I think one of the things about that little section about going to Walden Pond that I wanted to get across or that I that my experience of that was that um, Thoreau really went to have a philosophical experience there. Um, he was really yes, interested did, in yeah. the metaphysical aspects mm-hmm. of Walden Pond um, and what it meant to be, you know, go out to rural isolation. I was, I, that was not so interesting to me. What was interesting to me were sort of the mechanics of how it works. Um, you know, what what is it really like to be, to have to, <laughs> when when you're out in the middle of nowhere, um, how do you feed yourself? How do you do your laundry? How do you how do you keep yourself occupied? You know, how do you keep your mind occupied? Thoreau obviously did not have that problem um, mm-hmm. with, but he did that as a as a thought exercise, and I did this as a um, more of a of a, a experience of how it actually the day to day detail of it. Okay. Um, yeah. But both both those things came into play, and absolutely right. the isol- I mean, Walden Pond is an amazingly beautiful place, and and the isolation of getting away was it was it was also a part of my project. So wait, how old uh, was Thoreau when he wrote that, or when he did that? You know, I'm not entirely was he sure. 31? I think he was in his late twenties, I believe, oh. but I I might be totally wrong about that. But you know, it wasn't Back that far days, from where he was yeah. living. I mean, you could oh. walk there. <laughs> so. Fine. Well, I think that folks in New York City uh, tend to think that going out to the suburbs is just about as scary as being in Walden Pond. Yeah, right. <laughs> no convenience, no convenience stores around the corner. Um, <laughs> all right, so we just have uh, a couple minutes left. So um, uh, tell us, do you have anything else up your sleeves in the works that we can look forward to, or maybe any events that you'll be coming through cities to um, uh, talk about the book at? I am going to be uh, I'm going to be in Washington D.C. on May 1st at Politics and Prose on Connecticut Avenue, reading at 7:30, okay. um, and maybe some other cities. That's the next one coming up. So um, if you're in Washington D.C., mark your calendar. Um, I don't have another book idea mm-hmm. on deck, but I am thinking about. I've just been writing more. Um, Do you have a blog pieces. or blog or website? We can check it out. 
Uh, on our, our website. Well, you can find me on social media. Find my book on Facebook or on Twitter. Awesome. Um, those are usually the easiest places to see what's going on. Um, and awesome. you can always check the the Holt uh, Henry Holt website, and there's a there's a pretty rich page that they've made for the book there. Yeah, it's actually a really nice cover design, I have to say. Um, nice. Yeah, one. they did a they did a great job with it. Sure All right. It. Well, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to talk about this book. Um, it's it's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and uh, check it out, guys. Farm dies once a year. Uh, Henry Holt just came out. And thanks everyone at Heritage Radio. Okay. All right. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.